a marvel to see our dreams so realized But all these bright lights run together after a while And our blaze of glory turns ordinary new series in the in the brand new series you just need to know if, if if you're new to church you're like so what's the deal like how, how's this how's this unfold um i i get up here i preach for seven hours so if you're brent <laughs> so no i'm gonna do that i promise you i would i would fall asleep so uh, uh but if you're brand new maybe maybe easter was your first swing at church or, or maybe your return to church i'm glad that you're here uh, and i mean that with my whole heart but I do need to warn you, uh, we are extremely uh, imperfect and weird at times. So maybe much similar to, to your own family. Um, and so I'm hoping that if you're brand new, that, that you'll stay around for a little bit. And uh, we're, you came for a great new series. What we do is we take the Bible and teach the Bible, uh, but we do so in the context of, of a series that we call and, and the, the latest series is called Wonder Life. And so I'm hoping that, that you'll give as much attention to it as possible. But really the crux of the whole thing is uh, dealing with your identity and my identity. In other words, like, like who am I and why am I here? If you've ever wondered, who am I and why am I here? Then this series will unpack that. What I could tell you is I'll help teach it to you. You just got to figure out if you're going to listen or not. So uh, to, to launch us out in this whole series, i got to tell you a story. Uh, when, I, when I went to college, which was just a couple years ago, I uh, graduated, and I'm tell, still telling myself that. Uh, so I, 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 when I went to college, I worked during the summer like, like crazy. I worked nonstop to make as much money as possible so I didn't have to work much during the school year because I needed to focus. Because I need to focus. And so I got different jobs, and I, I was going to school in Indiana. In Indiana, a lot of your summer jobs are assembly jobs, like assembly lines, factories, uh, that kind of place. So my job was this. I got this. It was a place called Hearts and Kennedy. Now, Hearts and Kennedy at that time uh, made countertops. So this fact, supplied a lot of the local area lows at that time of the countertops. And so I, I got the job. And they said, we got the job for you, Mr. Seasonal College Kid. So uh, I worked in the factory, which, by the way, did not have a union. I was told at the beginning, if I brought up the word or said the word union, it would be my last day. So I never brought up the word, and I learned this because we didn't really have breaks, and it was way over 100 degrees in that factory. And I was put onto the line, and here's how it worked, is, is it started off with, as just a board, but it would go through different parts where laminate would get glued and sealed onto it and the countertop would get formed. By the time it got to me, my job 
was to trim the edges. And so I would bring it out on this table and, and clamp it down and trim one side, scoot it down and trim the other. In theory, this is not a difficult job. That's why they put me on it. So, so I had to do a little bit of math in my head, but it was no problem. So I thought. Uh, so as I was going down, and, and by the time it got done, me and I trimmed the edges, it just slid down a little bit further, and there would be a guy that would stack them up, and, and they would get counted and, and, and evaluated and then taken off. And so, and so uh, about after about 25 of them that day, supervisor comes walking through the line, which was normal. I mean, that's what supervisors do. Came to the end of it and looked at the countertops, looked at me. I'm like, oh, he's very impressed with me. Pulls out his tape measure, measured it. I'm like, he is probably perfect. I mean, I, in my head going, like, you probably have never had anyone cut these as perfectly as they're being cut right now. Then he did what I didn't want to happen. He signaled for the whole line to shut down. Now, if you've never worked in an assembly, I'm, I've worked in many. I've made wheels for Pontiac. I've done tons of stuff like that. If the line shuts down, and it's not quitting time. Someone did something stupid. That's just, that's, that's what everyone knows. Everyone just knows. Like, all right, who is it? And the supervisor walked over to me. And so everyone on the line, in fact, other parts of the factory are like, there's no noise. So everyone starts to wonder what's going on. And all eyes are on me. And my supervisor begins to tell me, hey, what are you cutting these out? And I said, well, here's the measurements and all that. He's like, that's not what they equal right now. And that past 25 have been about an inch short. He's like, and we, we can't sell those. In my mind, I'm like, I can sell them, sir. I can figure out how to sell these. And I, I, I remember having all eyes on me. I mean, at the time, I think I was about 19. And I'm just, for the first time, seeing all I, a grown-up world, right? Grown-up world going, this is not working out. Like, I, mean, I told you in my head, I thought I was just like nailing it. I thought, I'm, I, am, I am probably exceeding all expectations. This is working out brilliantly. And then, boom, all of a sudden, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing here now. And you, you may have never worked in a factory like that, but my guess is you may have had a similar experience where you thought the day was going pretty good. And then you had a parenting moment. And it didn't go well. And you start to look up or down or close your eyes. You start to go, like, what am I doing? <laughs> am I actually winning at this? Maybe you've had it with marriage or with friends or at work, maybe. Maybe you've had it at school where you thought you aced the test, but you're going to have to retake the test. Kind of like, what's going on? And I would tell you that most of us in life, if you don't know this, you, I mean, if you need to, you can look around. Most of us maybe all of us, have had days like this where we thought we had it figured out, but we didn't. And I would say when you lean into more of a philosophical or maybe more of an important topic, let's just talk about life in general. Figuring out is tough. In fact, I would say trying to figure out life is daunting. In fact, I even made it a slide just because I think all of us would be like, mm, it's good. Like some of us might change the word here and like depressing or discouraging or, or, or some of you, you've just stopped. <laughs> You're like, David, life is just too complicated 
and too unpredictable to figure out. The problem is, is if you leave it there, if you abandon the idea of life meaning something, you're going to find yourself at some point going, I don't even know who I am anymore. And I have no idea why I'm here. I get to tell you, there are answers. Look at me very closely. There are answers to who am I and why am I here. So I want to go there. This whole series is going to press in on that. So let's start off with a quote. I find it interesting that this quote is from an atheist. I think God has a sense of humor. If you know the why, you can live anyhow. I would agree with him. But let's, let's make this personal. If you know the why to your marriage, if you know the why to being a parent, if you know the why to school, if you know the why, if you, if you actually show up and do whatever you do or the conversations you have, if there's a why behind it, you know it. Then I would say you can live just about anyhow. And, and if you were to look at the whole globe right now, I, I would tell you that many of the, the leadership conversations, many of the executive conversations with, with business owners and corporations, and many of the just self-help stuff is addressing a major issue in our world where we've got to talk about why, because many of us, we go to school, we don't know why. We get married, we don't know why. <laughs> We have kids and we don't know why. We live life and we just begin to do what others have done before us without a locked in why. I can show you a story of a guy who missed the why conversation. If you've grown up at church, you're, you're familiar with him. His name's Zacchaeus. Let me bring you into the story and show you what happened. Jesus entered Jericho and, and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Now, if you're brand new to this, and you're like, I've never heard of Zacchaeus and Jericho, and I just know a little bit about Jesus, let me explain some of this. Jericho. Jericho was where the rich people lived. Jericho had become a, a resort town. If you had a second home, it was in Jericho. In fact, what happened was is the way the weather settled in, it was basically sunny and perfect and the right temperature every day. It hardly ever rained, but to supply the water, there were springs underground that brought water. And it was pretty much like, so you're going to Jericho this year because it's amazing. But mostly only rich people could. Only the rich could afford to go to Jericho and hang out for a while. But to even bring more to the story, we learned that there's a guy named Zacchaeus that lived there. Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector, a chief one. What that means to you and I is he was filthy rich. Like rich to where he had more money than he even knew how to spend. Highly successful if you call success what's in your bank account. Now what we know about Zacchaeus is that he got that money by stealing from people and lying to people. He didn't come about that money honestly. Now, here's what I would also tell you about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had a weak why. He had a why, but it was weak. It's what I would call his why was success. It's why he lied to get money. In fact, what we know about Zacchaeus is he probably didn't have many friends. Now, he had people who called themselves friends. They just loved to hang out at his, at his place, swim in his pool. He was the dude that, that, hey, do you know Zacchaeus? Yeah, I don't like him, but it's free food. <laughs> and we get to hang out in Jericho. So if you were around him, you didn't like him. 
because he often would have lied to you because he was just notorious for that. We know historically he was a swindler, a liar, and a thief. And his why in life was just to get more money. Now, that might not be your why. But if I were to ask you, and don't answer out loud, but if I were to ask you, what's your why? If we're talking about life, why do you get up in the morning? What is your why that fuels you? Now, I would say some of you are like, David, I am, I am smart enough to know that money is not the answer to everything, although it would be nice. Most of us would, would come up with a name. If I said, what's your why? Some of us are thinking, well, you're thinking your spouse, and you're even nudging like, you're my why, sweetie? Uh, you're welcome for that, by the way. Uh, uh, some of you might be thinking, well, my kids, my kids are my, my why. Some of you are like, why? They won't be permanently my why, but why they're in my house, they're my why. <laughs> by default. Some of you would say, your job is your why, and it forces you to be in that setting. Some of you, school, teacher, friends. Some of you just the big banner of family. Family is your why. Some of you might say, church is your why. Or other people, or even starving people. Maybe the poor is your why. But I got to point something out because Zacchaeus' why was probably money and success. And for many of us, it's a, it's a person or an organization. But you got to know that if you put a person or an organization as your why, you're setting things up. Here's what you're setting up. To make another person your why is to put unattainable requirements on that person. If we can get real, real, real personal, it's why if I did something stupid, so many people would have their faith rocked. Just to fess up to you right now, I'm, I'm not perfect. I try to convince my family that I am. But I'm going to tell you that when, when you let another person be your why, you're letting an imperfect individual you're letting an imperfect person have basically expectations they could never achieve. That's why oftentimes marriages collapse. That's why sometimes kids are resentful towards their parents. It's why you've never had a good boss, not because you've never had a good boss. It's just that you've put unhealthy expectations on your boss. See, see, many of us, and I'm, I'm as guilty as you are, many of the times when we're looking for our why in life, we're quick to name a person or a group. You need to know that's impossible for a person to fully satisfy why you exist. No one's perfect. We all would agree to that. We'd be like, mm, preach it. So for those of you who quickly named a person or an organization to your why, back off of that for just... A little bit. So back to the story of Zacchaeus. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, oftentimes when we read this story about Zacchaeus, we're like, okay, I know about that particle, and so he climbed up a tree. You need to know how significant this is. Because what just happened is this. A man who had a bigger house than Jesus ever had. A man who had more money 
than Jesus ever had. A man who had more authority than Jesus ever had on earth. Do you understand? He had everything that Jesus did not have. This man, who was one of the wealthiest people in Jericho, is, has now climbed a tree so that he can see Jesus walk by. I think that is evidence for you and I to understand that something was unsatisfied in Zacchaeus' life. Why would a rich dude who had everything you and I might say he ever needed to ever be happy, why is he climbing a tree? Why doesn't he just tell the crowd, hey, uh, I got more money than you, move out of the way. Why doesn't he interrupt Jesus as he's walking along? I'm telling you, he was uneasy about what was going on inside of his soul. His why he knew was empty and weak. And he heard about a guy walking through town that he'd heard stories about healing. He'd heard stories about this man preach. And one of the wealthiest people has now climbed a tree to see what's going on. I would tell you evidence that money does not bring all happiness. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. How freaked out would you be? Some of you are like, oh, but no, they have not met, okay? So all of a sudden, Jesus is like walking by, hey, Zacchaeus. I would have thought about fell out of the tree, but he uh, called him by name Zacchaeus. He said, uh, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And some of you are like, I think that's rude. Right, right. But, but not in this culture. And really, in this culture, that, okay, okay, okay. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house. Watch it with the attitude. In great excitement and joy. I think there's a reason that's written there. He said, sure, you can come over to my house. Has great excitement and joy. I would tell you that is more evidence that there's an emptiness in Zacchaeus that he's hoping maybe I'm going to get that filled. I don't know where you are on your why in life, but we can learn from Zacchaeus. Here's what we don't know. We don't know what he and Jesus talked about. There's no history book. There's no, there's no like documentation. Reporters did not go in there. There's just, we don't know what they talked about. We just know what Zacchaeus said when they were concluding their time together. We do know that. That's written down. We know what Zacchaeus says to Jesus at the end. And that gives us something. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. So before dinner, you got a guy who lies and cheats people out of money. His why is money. He has like dinner with Jesus and comes out half of it. Where's the poor? Give it to the poor. You, do you understand? If you, if you want to know how radical this is, Think about your current level of generosity to the poor. Are you giving half? So now I think we're all tracking with me going, whoa. He comes out of this conversation with Jesus. I'll give half to the poor. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, which he did, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. If you want to know if like, well, Zacchaeus is just saying that in front of Jesus. Well, no, Jesus validates it. 
Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. So what takes a lying swindler and through a time of eating dinner with Jesus turns him into a generous person that would probably outgive most of the people you and I have ever met? What in the world just happened? What'd they talk about? Well, like I told you, I can't give you specifics, but I can make a guess. I think Jesus dealt with who am I and why am I here? I think Jesus had a conversation with Zacchaeus that dealt with why Zacchaeus is here on earth. About who Zacchaeus actually is. That's why you learn about salvation. I think Zacchaeus was like, oh my goodness, life is bigger than just my bank account. And so you and I, we're going to press into this. Who am I and why am I here? Now, we're going to do it in rows, right? This is normal. Church, when you go to church, you sit in rows. Even if you're online, you're one. You're in a row. Good job. And, and, and there's rows, right? And this is normal. We're going to have five sermons. I'm going to preach about all of this stuff. But we not only need rows, we need circles. Rows and circles. Now, if you're thinking, are we going to rearrange the chairs? Like how? No, 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 no. Uh, there's, there's this. This goes along with this whole series, and we're making this available to, to everyone. So e- even the fellows at RCMU are going to have books, and here's what you need to do is not only listen to the sermons and, and lean into them and see what God has to tell you, but to get into circles, to find somebody and just sit across from them and go through the book together. There's pictures in here for those of you who are worried. But this conversation, who am I and why am I here? It needs to go beyond a row conversation. It needs to be a circle conversation. Parents, maybe a good time to start getting together with the whole family and going through some of this stuff together. See, here's what I would say. You want God's strength in your life, God's joy, God's peace. You want what we would call the wonder life. And I would tell you, if you want the wonder life, you got to do rows and circles. Because this can't just be a brief conversation. So just to take a stab at this at the very beginning, let's start talking about the wonder life. The wonder life begins when we stop trying to earn God's love and start to learn God's love. Now, if you were with us with Easter, I talked about God's love, that he sent his one and only son who built a bridge for us and, and, and like you, we accept that love. That's amazing. But there becomes a maturing process where you not only accept the love of God, like, this is awesome. You learn it. you got to learn God's love. Because to learn God's love helps you and I figure out who we are and why we're here. So let me give you even more definition to this. Who is your identity? And no need to raise hands or affirm this. But I would say more than ever in the history of mankind, identity has become an issue. We have so many folks who have no clue who they are. But even beyond that, not only who you are, but what your calling is in life. What your calling is. Most of us don't understand that we aren't just on this earth to just grow up. There's a calling. 
And I wonder if you know your true identity and your true calling. And so God's love is connected to this. So I got to teach you just a little bit, just a little bit about God's love. Because God's love is connected to your identity and your calling. So here's the first one. And this is imperative that you understand this. God's love is not his job. It's his gift. Gift is the key word. Many of us, though, are treating God like he works for us. See, many times we look at God and we're like, I mean, when you first started following God or believing in God, like, he's amazing, right? Like, and you, you start to process about how incredible he is, that, that he would save you and he would save me and we don't deserve it, that God would even want any kind of a relationship with us, and it's amazing. But that amazingness begins to turn into, well, just a different feeling, and we start to expect God to really show up and do a bunch of stuff, right? And, and then maybe we get, uh, well, we pressure him a bit. This happens in other parts of life, if you don't know this. If you've ever watched a little kid open up a gift, it's amazing. Uh, we've got three kids, all of them have done this, where you wrap a present, you know, all the nice wrapping paper, and, and then you, you put it in front of a little kid who can hardly walk, if they can even walk, and they start to rip it. And just ripping the paper itself is like the most amazing experience they've ever had. And then they start to eat it, and you try to stop them from eating it, and they're just thinking, this, you see it in their faces. Thank you for this wrapping paper. It's so awesome. It makes noise. And then they see after the wrapping paper, there's a box. So you take the toy out of the box, and just before you give it to them, they're playing with the box. And they're like, this box is amazing. Have you ever seen a kid do this, and they're playing with the box? And then you're like, if that's all you wanted, that's all I would have gotten you. It would be a lot cheaper. 30 minutes later, when they're done with the paper and the box, they're like, oh, there's a toy. That's neat. And they play with the toy for a little bit while, and then they go back to the box, and and it's, it's so fun. But then they start to grow up. And, and they begin to learn when their birthday is. And, and they learn when Christmas is. And before you can even think about those holidays or those moments, they hand you a list. Or text it to you nowadays. And, and they're not trying to be mean. It's just... They've gone from, this is absolutely so amazing, to, I have some expectations. Here you go. Choose from any of them or all of them. <laughs> and some of you come up with the bright, stupid idea. You're like, I don't like this list. That's no fun. I'm going to buy you something off of the list. And then you see that that doesn't go well. Because all of a sudden their birthday comes and you've got a kid who's so excited about what they put on their list. And you give them something that's not on their list and it's not amazing. And they look at you and they've moved from just enjoying the fact that it's their birthday and there's wrapping paper to here's my list. And now they've become demanding. And by now you probably see where I'm going with this. Somewhere in life we stop enjoying God. And we start demanding God. I'm as guilty as anyone listening. Where I've moved from, I can't believe he saved me. Like me. Of all people, I don't deserve ever to go to heaven. 
And there was a day that I could not get that out of my mind, but I have progressed, and not in a good way, where there's many days like, God, if you're real, here's my list. If you love me, here's my list. And you know that that goes from appreciation and value to expectation to demanding. And many of us, when we wake up and we go to sleep, we've lost an understanding. We do not have any idea of what God's love is and how great it is. And if you wonder, like, why? What happened? If you're like me, you became demanding. And you forgot how powerful God's love is because it's not his job. It's a gift. And the Bible says every morning brings new mercies, new gifts. Let me show you a better quote. (laughs) It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may, be, it may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old and are, I would say, but our father is younger than we. If if you got lost in the wording on this last part, he's talking about the story of unwrapping a gift. And many of us, I think, have assumed that, yep, the sun goes up. And the sun goes down, the tide comes in, the tide goes out, and we've assumed that that it just happens. What if, what if God does that every day? What if every day is truly what you and I say at funerals, a gift? And if God's love is so powerful and the life he gives us is so powerful, then you and I need to live it differently. We need to look at our life, the moments we get to breathe as an act of love from God. And we need to press in that not only does he love us, he likes us. He wants to be in a relationship with us. Romans, for those of you who don't believe me on this, For since our friendship, since our friendship with God was restored, not by what anything you and I have done, by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. So if you have missed everything I've been talking about, if I've been too all over the place, If you've not connected, what does God's love have to do with who and why? I would say our who and why is anchored in God. And so for any time you ever try to find your own identity and your own calling in life outside of God, it will break down. Eventually. It will leave you with an emptiness that perhaps Zacchaeus was feeling. 
going, I thought money would do it. Oh, I've got money. That didn't work. Oh, I thought marriage would. No, marriage didn't. I thought kids would. No, I thought graduation would. And you begin to learn the older you get in life that some of the achievements that we are aiming at and defining as our why are not truly good whys. They are weak whys. So what is a good why? Well, for those of you who have been searching, I've got bad and good news. Bad that it's been available for a long time. Uh, Good news is I'm going to share it with you. So in the 1600s, some theologians got into a room and decided, all right, we've got people who don't know why they're living. And here's what they came up with, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But, but which house do I move in and, and what job do I take and, and where do we... No, no. If God has a specific that for you, he's going to make it known because he's God. What do you do in the meantime when you don't know the details and you don't know how to play everything out? If you're not sure what to do with your day because your day seems mundane or bad or whatever. If you're like, what do I do? Our chief end is to glorify God. If you can glorify God in doing what you're doing, do it. You and I were created. Why? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So that satisfies a little bit of the why. Let me go back to who you are. The Bible spelled that out too. I'll call nobodies and make them somebodies. I'll call the unloved and make them beloved. In the place where they yelled out, you're nobody, I'm calling you God's living children. So for those of us who struggle with our identity, if we think that our choices have defined us or our parents have defined us or our bank accounts define us or whatever defines us, let me, let me tell you very specifically what your creator thinks about you. You are somebody to him. But more than that, you are beloved. There are tons and tons of verses throughout the Bible that talks about how much God loves you. So much so that he wants to call you his kid. If you're like, I don't know who I am, David. I I get that. I I get that. But now you can know that to God you are somebody. To your creator you are somebody. Your actions and behavior don't change that. He loves you. And he invites you to be his kid. This should lay the groundwork for all of us. As we press into who we are and why we're here, we're going to spend more time on this. But again, rows and circles. Rows and circles to give you a heads up to next weekend. The title of the sermon is Our Stories Matter. So for those of you who haven't heard it before, I will share my story and prove to everyone (laughs) that I disqualified myself a long time ago from being worthy of anything. Your story matters too, but you gotta lean into it. So I hope no matter where you've been or what you've been about, no matter your experiences up to this point, that you can now land in the fact that God thinks you're pretty and 
incredible. Hold on to that as our foundation for this whole series. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for letting us gather like this. Thank you for letting us talk in a way that, that you communicate to us. God, I know I said words, but, but you did the communicating. God, I pray that you'll speak to every one of our hearts in a way that we receive exactly what you know we need. God, I just feel, especially for those who were on the verge of giving up on life, please encourage them that you love them. God, for those who struggle with liking themselves, remind them that you want to be their friend. God, I just pray that you'll guide us as a church, that you'll bring people who are far from you into this conversation and help us to lock in who we are and why we're here. We love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.